and I'm Grant. Before we get started, make sure that you share this link with uh, anyone you think might be interested in listening to it. Um, tag us at The Atypical Rainbow on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us on the ACAST website by searching for The Atypical Rainbow. Um, and don't forget to check out our back catalogue of episodes. We've got a whole season's worth that are worth listening to, at least we think so. Uh, so... Today's episode is the first in the series we like to call the ARAV Club, where we um, focus on a particular thing that's been released in the media, whether it be book, TV, movie, or otherwise, and we sort of break down the issues from a gay and or autistic perspective, depending on what the actual um, medium itself is all about. Uh, Today, we're going to focus on The Prom. Now, For practical purposes, we're not reviewing the original Broadway musical because we have no access to that and it hasn't come to Australia. We're talking about the Ryan Murphy adaptation that can be found on Netflix. Uh, For those who aren't aware of what The Prom is about, it is inspired by a true story of a young teenage girl who was denied the right to attend her own prom with her girlfriend. The stage musical and the movie adaptation is a fictionalised account about four washed-up Broadway stars who come to her rescue and try to throw her a prom and fight on her behalf. Big-name stars include Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, and Andrew Rannells, and probably a big focus of today's episode is James Corden. So rather than recapping or talking about the quality of the piece, we wanted to talk about about the, the issues that arose from viewing the prom. And one of the first things, and one of the big things that you'll probably see about James Corden and The Prom, is whether or not James Corden's casting was appropriate. And it's because James Corden's character is the most flamboyantly gay character in the movie. And even though there are other gay actors in the cast, James Corden, who is straight, is the one who's playing the gay character. And it's a very stereotypical gay character. So... A lot of people have issue with this, which can be an interesting topic because it's like if a gay man performs a very stereotypical gay role, is it okay? Like, for instance, Will and Grace's Jack is probably the one that comes to my mind, but I believe he is gay. Yes. So the fact that he plays a stereotypical gay as a gay actor is kind of okay, whereas James Corden doing the same thing is a member of a majority impersonating a member of a minority. I think the the bigger issue around it, and just interestingly, they, they, they some have dubbed it him playing gay face, which is an odd term. Like, I get where the etymology comes from, but I don't think it quite works here. But the, I think the biggest issue here for me is the fact that there are some amazing gay male actors in the Hollywood community. Um, Matt Bomer, Jim Parsons, and okay, maybe they can't all sing, but, and this is nothing personal with James Corden, I don't think James Corden's that great a singer to begin with anyway. So it wasn't, didn't seem to be necessarily that he was the right mix of acting, singing ability. It just seemed to be that they like the maybe Ryan Murphy just liked James Corden and cast him in what is a very significant role and what actually was expanded for the movie. So in the original Broadway play, um, the cari- character of Barry doesn't have a, a lot of the um, the coming out plotline that was included in the movie. So not only did they cast someone who was straight, they also expanded his role to further explore the gay issues that came with the character from growing up in a small town and being um, rejected by his parents. Yeah, so do you think that these are relevant 
criticisms? It's, it's difficult. So, and this is the argument when it comes to any sort of diversity casting. It's the question of, do you go with a meritocracy or do you go with um, diversity? And it shouldn't and isn't always either or. But often that's the argument. The argument is, well, we cast the best person for the role, irrespective of their sexual orientation or uh, or whatever other factors may contribute into it. Um, but at the same time, though, it feels like it was kind of overlooked, really, because James Corden, to be honest, isn't that good in the role. And that's the thing. If he was something like this spectacular, amazing, like really effective kind of actor, I don't know if would have necessarily minded. So... If you think about, say, Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, Tom Hanks in Philadelphia is amazing. It doesn't matter that he's straight. Admittedly, it's Tom Hanks. I mean, he has a, a whole bunch of clout. Like, you just, you can't hate the guy. But at the same time, it didn't bother me that he was a straight guy playing a gay guy. But James Corden doing it, it just didn't feel like it was a very honest kind of portrayal. And that's difficult because, let's face it, it's musical theatre. It's not about subtlety. It's about the big presence and the big personalities, but it, I don't know, there was just something about his performance that was kind of unremarkable, and all the more astonishing for the fact that he actually got nominated for a Golden Globe, the only cast member out of the prom to be nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance, which I feel like is kind of undeserved, really. Well, out of that cast, he probably did have the emotional beats that the other characters didn't have, because he had that entire coming out story. I think that Meryl Streep had some. I think she had more a personal growth rather than a grander sort of social issue to explore. So I would argue that she did more than he did. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't remember whether she got nominated or not, but I don't think she did. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I disagree with the being surprised that he's the one out of that cast who would be um, nominated like I wouldn't also, be, I wouldn't be surprised if Meryl Streep was also nominated, but he, he did have to perform a range of different emotions, and he did a reasonably good job of it. Mm. It did, the knowledge that he was a straight man, playing sort of that gay story and sort of that emotion of the rejection that he wouldn't have had to go through, because I guess of his privilege to use that word. It like I think. If I hadn't known, like if someone had told me he was gay or if I just had never heard of James Corden ever, then maybe it wouldn't have ringed as false for me. So I think maybe the knowledge affected how I watched the performance. It's hard to know that though. It's hard, yeah. like You'd need to ask someone who never, who's never heard of Carpool Karaoke, who's never heard of The Late Late Show. But even putting that aside, I would argue that his performance just wasn't particularly convincing. Or maybe the storyline just felt a little bit unoriginal. And it's not to say that the storyline doesn't exist or doesn't happen in the real world, but there's nothing about his performance that felt to me remarkable enough to overcome the fact that he's not gay and hasn't had to go through the experience that he was portraying. And don't get me wrong, not all actors have to have gone through what they've gone through in order to portray it well, which is why I think, for me, I don't think it was the knowledge that he was straight was the problem. I think he just didn't do a very good job of it. Well, that's, that's fair enough. But I, I think that that's more of a subjective thing than an objective thing. Like, sometimes people get nominated for performances I don't think were great. Mm. Or, you know, some people love a song that I don't think is that good. Or people just like a, some, a celebrity who I don't really like. But that's my just subjective 
view about things. Mm. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I guess I'm not that surprised that he got nominated, even though you didn't enjoy his performance. Would it have been different if he weren't playing such an effeminate version of a gay person? I don't know. As, yeah, as I said, it was a very stereotypical character. And I don't know whether it would have been played exactly the same by a gay person. I think it probably would, because it's, it's like, you know, it's musical theatre. Um, so everyone, in a way, was meant, like, especially those four, were meant to be kind of over the top. And the storyline is over the top, and the songs are over the top. And, like, Meryl Streep was very over the top. She just wasn't being an over-the-top, you know, gay person. Yeah. <laughs> she was just being an over-the-top megalomaniac. Although, interestingly, I read after I watched it that the, although the four Broadway actors that were in it were fictional and therefore, you know, quite over the top, there were some of the more ridiculous parts of the story that actually did happen in real life, like the fake prom. That was That really happened. Yeah, like... It wasn't so much the fake prom, it was more the people change their views within, like, three minutes. Yeah. And, yeah, like, the happy ending just coming out of nowhere Yeah. type of stuff that I was talking about. Not so much the fact that they'd had the fake prom. I can see that mm. as being something that could happen. I remember a number of years ago, there was actually the reverse issue. Now, um, so, Sean Hayes, who plays Jack McFarland on Will and Grace, was cast uh, in a Broadway play as the straight man of a married couple with Kristen Chenoweth, also a big Broadway star. And it was, it was interesting because there were a lot of criticisms of the reverse, where there, the, there was a particular critic who said that because he was familiar with Sean Hayes' work, from Will and Grace, and because he knew that uh, Sean Hayes was an openly gay man, he wasn't convinced by the fact that Sean Hayes was playing a straight person. And, of course, everyone came to his aid and defended him, and, and Kristen Chenoweth was, was talking about how great he was in the role, um, and there was a sort of massive backlash against this particular critic. So, it's interesting that how, depending on the community you're in, you get kind of different reactions to the reverse problem. Well, yeah, but I think that also comes into why people get annoyed. Because it's often, it's often been brought up by people that, you know, there's gay roles are played by straight men, but gay actors are told they're too gay to play straight roles. Then what roles are they meant to play? Mm. So I think the fact that there are certain gay actors who are told you're too gay to play straight, but then the gay roles go to straight people. They're like, well, yeah, where is my actual role to play? Whereas I think, um, I don't know his name, but he was King George in Hamilton. Uh, Jonathan Groff. Yes. So he is gay, but I think can play straight quite well. And he's played straight in a number. He played straight in Glee. Yeah. King George was straight. Not that, you know... Well, there was yes. Any... <laughs> Technically. Well, yes. If anyone's watched Hamilton, he doesn't get played straight. Let's put it that way. He's played either very English... Well, no, he's, been, he's, <laughs> he's been played European. It's yeah. a, is he gay or European? In, in Hamilton, he's European. Yeah. But yeah, I can see... Like, I don't think it's fair to criticise someone who has cast Sean Hayes as a straight character... But I could see why some people might not do the casting. So I think the point of... Like, I think the reviewer was wrong to be the person to criticise it. But I could see Sean Hayes having trouble being cast by certain people as a straight person. 
So that's why, yeah, so which can create sort of the anger about, you know, straight people pay, playing gay, gay characters. And from what I heard, I've forgotten his name. So the, the gay guy was actually... Ed one Reynolds. Of, yeah. His character was meant to be straight. So there's a straight oh. guy playing a gay guy and a gay guy playing a straight guy. <laughs> yeah, that feels inversed. Yes, which I, I did read a lot of people saying, well, you know, he was literally there. Like, they could just swap their roles around. Well, absolutely. And and Andrew Reynolds is a trained Broadway actor who's very talented in yeah. all the things that would be necessary to play the role of Barry. And yet, yet his character was, um, at best, the fourth wheel. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, he was the third wheel. Nicole Kidman was the fourth wheel. Yeah, oh, yeah. All right, fair. Fair. Admittedly, if you have four wheels, you have a car. So actually, that metaphor doesn't really work. The point is, he was not really a necessary character. Yes. I guess this might transition nicely into the next topic, which is the idea of gay cinema in general. Does all gay cinema have to be good? Because we had this this discussion afterwards, because I didn't mind the prom. I thought it was fine. Uh, you know, it, it was colourful and bright. And admittedly, the lead, uh, played by Joe Ellen Perlman, was fantastic, and I loved her. She was great. But it wasn't a particularly remarkable performance. But I was sort of commenting on the idea that the fact that it exists at all, that is a um, piece of media that is uh, all about, you know, uh, LGBTQI rights and sort of the empowerment of that. I thought I felt that the fact that it existed was still important. Whereas your argument was contrary to that, which was what again? Well, my my argument is that we shouldn't support gay cinema or as Australians Australian cinema that's bad just because it exists. But I, I why not though? Particularly again, if we're talking about minorities and representation, why why can't just the fact that it exists at all be a good thing? Well, I guess because I want good gay cinema or good Australian cinema. And also, like, I th- feel like if you just blanket support all, you know, gay cinema, the actual good gay cinema kind of just doesn't stand out and doesn't get noticed in the same way for being a really good movie. See, I think that's difficult because if you think about, you know, heteronormative cinema... They don't necessarily have to have that expectation. There are some terrible heteronormative movies out there, but they exist, and no one necessarily thinks, oh, you're bringing down all of heteronormative cinema, therefore you should not exist. Well, there are people who would say that about female-led cinema. They, they use any bad female-led movie or TV show as a sign that female-led movies or TV shows are a problem. Like Catwoman... Like, not Catwoman... Batwoman is a big example. A lot of people like, well, you know, look, lesbian female-led. It's terrible. So therefore, that equals that if you have something led by a lesbian female, it will automatically be bad, which is not true. People can make good things about, you know, lesbians, and people can make bad things about lesbians. Um, and it neither one says something about the entirety if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess the problem here, though, is that it, it holds minority-produced creative oh. projects to a higher standard. Uh, and this, and this but Ryan the... Murphy's not a minority at this stage. <laughs> like, you know, he is gay, but he is a household name. He's well-known. Yes, he's got, he's got the empire behind him. But what I'm talking about is not necessarily Ryan Murphy or the prom specifically, but if we're talking about any sort of gay media, whether it's TV, movies, uh, whatever, I think it's 
it's not the fault of the the uh, creators that um, people are they're, they're judged more highly. Do you know what I mean? Like it, the fact is that um, it is a it is a higher standard to which minority media is being held, and that doesn't that doesn't seem particularly fair. So why are we trying to repair the cinema or the media? Why can't we repair the way it's being perceived by the the broader? most likely heterosexual population. Well, that that works under the assumption that it is good, but it's being overlooked, as opposed to just being bad. Like, if something's bad, don't you want it to be better? Like, if I'm going to spend 90 minutes watching something, shouldn't it be enjoyable and good? Yes, but not so that it elevates all the movies within its category or genre. Like, I don't... Again, you, you look at... Roman- I, like, I'm, I love a good romantic comedy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I love them. But there are some really crappy ones out there. But I wouldn't necessarily declare that if there was a bad romantic comedy out there, it drags down all romantic comedies. It just kind of becomes a, well, a blip on the radar. in a radar. way, it does. Like, the, the, the entire, you know, oh, it's a chick flick, boys won't go to it. Like, that, that idea of the repetitive and bad female, you know audience planned movie you know getting labeled as you know chick chick flicks or chick lit and therefore it just sort of being dismissed as you know just something for a minority like obviously well just by society like for instance like twilight people like oh twilight exists so therefore teenage girls are stupid and their tastes are stupid because you know twilight is stupid and therefore they dismiss an entire demographic and their views. Whereas there can actually be really good things made for that demographic that can be enjoyed by, you know, entire families. The problem is that only then applies dealing to genre ones. So the ones, movies or TV that are always going to be on the cusp or always going to be outside the mainstream. I guess the question is, why does it have to be mainstream? Like, why does... Why does a piece of media have to have the broadest appeal possible at all times? Because if that's the case, then all we get are two and a half men. Like, you know what I mean? It just... I, I don't know if that logic is necessarily something we should be applying. Because then what it does is it prevents us from seeing some really unique things that might not have been made because it was deemed too niche. Yes. But I think sort of just saying that this is only for a minority means that they will be, you know... They won't make money. Like, the thing is, like, Will and Grace was not considered just for gay people. If it had been considered just for gay people, there wouldn't have been enough gay people to watch it to make, to get the advertising. But which end of the creative process, or the process of making the show, considered it not for a niche audience? I think just that it was funny. Like, just that it was a quality show that was funny, people would, you know, laugh at it. It's not... So it's not all inside gay jokes or, you know, only enjoyable by gay people. It was just a comedy that people enjoyed because it was actually funny. Yeah, but if you had read the blurb for it, like if, if you know, they, they, the advertising uh, promoted the fact that one of the main characters was gay, there would be certain people that would be turned by it automatically, irrespective of whether or not the quality of it was any good. Like, you can't know something's good unless you actually try it out. Yes, but I think, well, like one of the things that we've sort of gone through in the last couple of years is sometimes we watch things because they have a gay character. That's true, yes. Even if they're not very good. Yes. And that's kind of a waste of our time, but we are kind of supporting, you know, throwing at least a gay character in, or pretending you're going to throw a gay character in. 
Such as? Um, I was thinking Bridgerton. Oh, yeah. Yes. That was a little bit of a falsehood. Well, we don't know. I don't know what the books are like, so maybe something is coming. But yeah, there was... I, I definitely heard differently to what actually happened in Bridgerton about yes. the inclusion of a gay character. Yeah. Uh, or in, the inclusion of significant gay characters, I guess. There was... There was technically gay characters. Yes. <laughs> One of them had no lines. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know, maybe it's a step up from them all being dead. <laughs> True. But yeah, so, like, I, I just think that all these things should be just judged on whether they are good, not given sort of this special bonus points for including gay people. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that the inclusion of minority characters makes it a better quality thing. I think it's just important that it gets an opportunity to be seen. And, like, again, the existence of it promotes the existence of other potentially better quality pieces of media out there. Whereas if everyone ignores it because it is of, of, on a minority topic or if it doesn't get the kind of attention that a mainstream or a broadly appealing piece of media would get then it dies out and then it feeds into the argument that you know old white heteronormative men are probably talking about which is oh no one wants to watch it therefore we're not going to invest any more money in any future projects that are related to it yes but the problem is, I think if people do that because it's bad, people make the assumption. So if it was good in the first place, then it would make money, hopefully. Because we're assuming the population is not bigoted. Yeah, and that's a that's a tough assumption to make. Well, like, Wonder Woman is a good example. It was successful, even though it had a female lead. And it was like, okay, this was a good movie with a female lead. Whereas, like, Catwoman with Halle Berry was a bad movie with a female lead. And I think if we expect things to be of a quality, we can focus on this is a good movie, this is a bad movie, without having to make it sort of about the minority. But there is there is a place for stupid movies, though. <laughs> like I, I, I'm I, I'm not a, a movie critic. I certainly you know if I had to watch movies all the time, I'd probably get sick of the really crappy ones and you know forget about them and, and malign them as much as anyone else does. But I do enjoy a good stupid movie. Sometimes I just need to turn my brain off, right? So yeah, but some critics will talk about movies that are bad, boring, as opposed to movies that are bad fun. Yes, yeah. I, like I, I, again, I would argue that it's unfair to hold minority cinema to a different standard. Like, well, then, okay. So you're saying I'm, I'm not saying that I'm trying to hold it to a different standard. I'm almost trying to hold it to the same standard. But we don't try to hold it to a lo- like a lower standard. No, but like, but we don't paint all media with the same brushstroke. If if there is a you know a crappy action movie, let's say obviously action movies have a lower bar generally, right? Mm. But if there's a crappy action movie, it doesn't stop future action movies from being made, right? That's and that's kind of the danger here is that people just keep tr- what happens then is that people just keep trying to reinvent the genre. They try to look at it in different ways, be more creative. And that's a positive thing. Like, we want people to try to do better than, than their predecessors. But the risk is with minority cinema is that it, if the people in charge think there's no money in it, they won't necessarily invest in making a better version in the future. So it's not to say that something like The Prom is automatically better because it has gay people or is about gay people, but more so that its existence needs to at least be supported in order to allow, to open the door for other, you know, gay stories to be told in a better way. But how long do you do that for? 
until you have to stop thinking about it. Like, okay. Like, you know, um, let's, let's get back to the Wonder Woman example for a second, right? So, yes, agreed. Wonder Woman, uh, there were a lot of skeptics who said a female-led um, superhero movie would not do well, which is why, you know, every Marvel movie and DC movie before then was all male-led. Mm. And yes, I loved the first Wonder Woman. It was a good movie. Um, but what it then did was it opened the door for, say, Captain Marvel, and now they're making more female-led superhero TV shows, and there's going to be more movies. You know, from an ethnicity point of view, Crazy Rich Asians did that for, you know, mainstream Asian cinema. Black Panther did it for having a black superhero. So these things... These things were good properties that were promoting um, the the power of um, cultural storytelling. But the thing about those movies, though, is that just because, it, like, if let's let's say they sucked, like God forbid, if these all all the movies I mentioned were all terrible movies, I don't think it's fair to then. May mean that every other movie that follows it has to try harder. It has to be even better. Whereas your mainstream, broadly appealing movies can kind of just half-ass it and still get money to release themselves straight to streaming or, or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah, but I think the thing is, if, you know, in 20 years, every black movie we have to pretend is Black Panther, then that kind of defeats the purpose of ever making a good black movie. It's not necessarily about the fact that they get credit. It's more that they just aren't dismissed so readily. Or so or it's they're not seen as being reflective of the industry in its entirety. I think it's probably but it's, it's not like prom is the first movie of this type. No, that's certainly true. Yeah. Um it's it's certainly not the first to come. And I I I think that it um there will be more gay cinema in the future, but typically speaking Admittedly, we're in the age of streaming. Streaming, I think, has changed the game a lot. But typically speaking, most gay cinema is is left off to indie cinemas. You know, like they it's the smaller, more intimate movies, which can be still quite good. Like I recently watched God's Own Country, which is amazing, mm-hmm. um, and it's a very small, intimate movie about two men falling in love. Uh, but you know, I'm thinking like your big scale movies. You know, like trying to sort of of the equivalent. Of what we get with your... Not necessarily... For some reason, superheroes in my brain. That's not even what I'm thinking, really thinking about. It's more about, like, your your romantic comedies. I, that, that always seems to be my bar. Because romantic comedies I find to be fairly broad, mm-hmm. appealing. I mean, I, well, yeah. Broad appealing to me, anyway. I don't really know what a broad appealing film is. Like, I can't name a film that entices everyone except maybe superhero films. And even that's kind of genre. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I would want to see... You know, minority media get to a point where we stop having to point it out, where it stops becoming special that it's a movie about uh, black people, Asian people, you know, uh, queer people. It's just part of the the landscape, and in an, its existence does not necessarily reflect on the rest of that subcategory of media. Yeah, but I guess with queer cinema, I don't think the problem not being great does reflect on the rest of cinema. Like, it doesn't delete Brokeback Mountain or In and Out or people liked um, Call Me By Your Name. I didn't particularly. Yeah, I didn't love the movie. The book was much better. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like they ceased to exist because Prom wasn't that good. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I and guess... you know, if you go back to In and Out and Brokeback Mountain, it's been going for a while. Like, 
Yeah, but even then though, it's not like the the popularity of In and Out or the um, the awards uh, attraction of Brokeback Mountain necessarily caused this explosion in gay cinema. It wasn't. But like, I guess it, what explosion are you expecting? Like, are you expecting gay cinema to be as commonly created as rom coms or action movies? Because that's probably never going to happen. Why not though? I just don't think there's as many stories to tell. Like, they, you know, you can have a rom-com with gay people, but I guess is that gay cinema? Um, Arguably, yes. But again, if it, if it stops becoming gay cinema and just becomes cinema, then that's that's the goal, really. It's just a romantic comedy that happens to have two men or two women. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know what you're wanting to achieve. Like, what do you think the prom leads to? I don't know. I don't know necessarily. Like, I feel like the prom has enough star power that it attracts at least some attention, you know? And the hope would be that it leads to more, yeah, more storytelling of gay storylines embedded within what would be considered, you know, uh, broadly appealing media. Like, there was an interesting statistic that came out that said that of the four biggest TV producers... Uh, currently working in Hollywood. I can only name three out of the four. I can't remember what the fourth one is, because it's Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy, Greg Berlanti, and one other. Um, three out of the four are gay. So Shonda Rhimes is the only heterosexual person um, out there telling gay storylines. And Shonda Rhimes being quite famous for, you know, colorblind casting mm. and diversity and inclusivity. I think that kind of idea that you don't have to be gay to, prom- to have gay storylines in your body of work. I think that's what I want to see, is that everyone can kind of look at their plot line, look at their story, look at whatever they're producing, and go, could there be a gay character in there? Or could there be a, a trans character? Or could there be some, like some more, more diversity where it, you know, where it doesn't necessarily have to be made a point of, but the fact it's, it's there. Yeah, but then I guess you get the... Problem of people saying, oh, that straight person's writing that gay person wrong, or that white person's writing that black person wrong, or that non-trans person's writing that trans person wrong. Yeah, but that's, uh, that is, that's a separate problem that can actually be resolved if you write with a team. So, yes, I guess that's true. So, for example, um, Six in the City is, is doing a, not a reboot, but like doing a sequel series. Mm-hmm. And they've made a really big point to include people of colour in their writing staff because they want to reflect um, New York as it is now. Mm-hmm. Because one of the biggest criticisms... No, that's a lie, actually. One of, them, one of the criticisms of Sex in the City was that, yeah, it was, very, it was a very white cast and had a very white uh, writing room. So the, you can take steps to try and make sure that the voice being spoken and the stories being told are represented accurately by by the right creative types. So there are there are ne- they're sort of a next level problem. I think it can be resolved, but again, we kind of need to overcome that first bit, which is that we just need more of it, more minority cinema out there, so that people know it exists. And then the hope would be that people will you know, attend the cinemas and, and stream it on their streaming services and make the choice not based on the fact that it's about, uh, you know, a queer subject or a black subject or an Asian subject, but because it just looks good. Like, it looks like a good piece of work. Yeah. So that's that's the goal. That's, that's, that's it for me, is that people don't make their judgments on something. And it, look, it's hard to judge a trailer on, on anything now to know whether something's good or bad. Mm-hmm. But to be able to look at something with an open mind, to be willing to look at the story as a whole rather than the parts that it's made up of. 
Okay, and you think people aren't looking at it with open mind? I don't know. I, I worry that if we start um, categorising things as gay cinema, even if it's only the fact that it's, you know, a romantic comedy with gay people, mm-hmm. or, you know, or classifying Crazy Rich Asians as Asian cinema, when actually it's just a romantic comedy that happens to have Asian people. Mm-hmm. You know, really kind of that, that subcategorization. I don't know whether that is necessarily helpful or hindering. Yes, I think trying to get rid of the categories would probably be helpful. It's just a bit hard to do, I think, sometimes. Although it does depend. Like, sometimes the categorizations can be helpful when they're reflecting the story itself. So, you know, if the prom is about um, about prejudice and about homophobia, mm-hmm. then okay, one would argue that is gay cinema, because the subject material is very specific to that culture. But again, if we're thinking about... I'm sorry, I keep going back to romantic comedies, but it's just the easiest point of reference for me. Um, but yeah, again, Crazy Rich Asians. It, it involves Asian culture, but it's not about Asian culture. It's about, you know, two people falling in love and, you know, the mother-in-law hating the daughter, the daughter-in-law. Like, it's just, that's pretty classic storytelling, irrespective of whether or not the person is Asian. Yeah, I guess the thing is with, like, Crazy Rich Asians is you probably get more out of it if you're Asian. Especially if you're from that... Um, region or country sort of that i guess um society because it's all about sort of this rich society like obviously if you're a rice farmer in china you're probably not going to get the same thing out of it but you don't necessarily need to have the exact same experience that everyone else does no no, i'm not i'm not saying that you can't watch it like i can't watch it but i'm just saying that i think the reason that people go this is a really good asian movie is because asians get things out of it that other people don't understand but then the same argument would apply to a romantic comedy about straight people you're calling that a straight person movie because they get out more of it than a gay person would or calling it white cinema because it has white people therefore white people get it more than asian people do like that logic doesn't apply in the reverse well in a way it might like it like there's certain like say it's set in texas you might get more out of it if you've actually know more about texas Yes, I will. I will agree that you can appreciate it more. It's like um, what is it? Genius points? Is that what they call it when you notice like Easter eggs and and yeah, and genius bonuses. Genius bonuses, right? Yeah. So yeah, okay. Having a genius bonus for affiliating with the storyline better is all well and good, but it doesn't necessarily make the film good or bad. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that Crazy Rich Asians becomes bad if you're not Asian. I'm just saying that like yeah, the it's. I think it's okay to acknowledge that. Asian people might get more out of it. It's also, sometimes we watch things and you get more out of it by knowing French. Yeah. Like, you get jokes that I don't get. <laughs> sure. And I think it's okay to just, yeah, just say that, you know, you get more out of things. But it doesn't mean that other people can't enjoy them if they're of good quality. I think the problem there is, though, is if people get deterred by that particular factor. So if someone looked at it and goes, oh, it's a movie about Asians, I'm not going to get it, and therefore they don't go, then it's not... Support. Yeah, I know, but I think the counterpoint would be if they go, oh, I'll, I'll try some gay cinema, and they watch something and it's really boring or terrible, and they're like, oh, that's what gay cinema is. I've had my one experience, I will generalise that, because that's what we do as human beings. That's true. Um, whereas if they watched a much better movie that fits into gay cinema, they'd be like, oh, gay cinema is actually really interesting. Mm. Um, or this was very classily done, or this is very gratuitously done. Yeah. Um, so I think that in a way, that's why I think sort of 
having these things actually be of a good quality is a benefit to everyone. Yeah. Okay. I think I think we mostly agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, it's a very small nitpicky, nitpicky thing. Mm. Okay. Any final points? Watch in and out instead of the prom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my final point. <laughs> or maybe even love Simon. See, uh, okay, that's a, that's a different discussion for another day. I think. <laughs> well, you, you didn't. I don't think you liked Love Simon as much as I did. Yeah, you definitely didn't like Love Victor as much as I did. No, I thought it was all fine. And I, again, as a man who loves romantic comedies, I didn't think Love Simon and Love Victor were that special. But again, you know, it's allowed to be average. Like Gay Simon can be average, and that's perfectly fine. I support that it exists, and I still watched all of it, and I bought the Love Simon DVD and all that. It was okay. I still love Sleepless in Seattle. What is your favourite movie about gay people? Like, I, I'd be tempted to say in and out but I have not seen it for so long, I don't know. <laughs> I saw it when I was quite young. I am not sure. Um, look, right now, God's Own Country is fresh in my mind, and I actually really, really like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Brokeback Mountain affected me a lot, uh, and I thought mm. that was really well done. I actually cannot name a fourth movie about gay people. <laughs> um, Call Me By Your Name? No, that was a terrible movie. I, I know, I oh, no, it. like you mean just literally yeah, naming um, for. Philadelphia was good, but also very, very, very sad. Have um, you seen Milk? No, I keep meaning to. I haven't seen Milk either. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we need to watch more gay cinema and then make that judgment. I don't know. I'd... We watch gay sitcoms. Yeah, oh yeah, all the time. Even the ones that only last a season. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> we're very good at supporting the gay sitcoms. <laughs> we're, we're more TV people than movie people. Movies are much of a different time investment. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but hey, maybe maybe this is something we need to think about. Or hey, if you uh, if you have any suggestions about good gay cinema, please make be sure to post up something on Facebook or Instagram, make some suggestions, send us a message, um, and we can certainly watch it and review it, and, and we can tell you if we agree or not. Yes. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. Uh, Be sure to share and subscribe and do all the good things to make sure that we feel popular. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.